Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. Okay, well we're uh we're throwing it back to the early days. It's just just you and me this week. Yeah, I think um Max and Kevin saw us in person and that was enough of us for for a bit. So um <laughs> because they're going to see us again in person I guess next week at this point. So um, Wow, yeah, that is true. Yeah, we uh we we convened for kevin's bachelor party which is is yeah. wild and and so now so kevin is in you know uh kevin is in get married and also move to a new place mode max is in mm-hmm. prepare for a move mode and you and me are just like killing time until it's time to go to the wedding so yeah. we decided uh rather than taking a week off we'd we'd get together and uh, and do a thing that we've done a couple times before, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, watch something. Yeah, and and <laughs> this one was interesting too. But because speaking of killing time, downloaded a new streaming service, which now I will Ooh. test out because they have my my information in Tubi. I, I don't know anything about it yet, other than it seems to be very much free. I don't even know if you can pay for it, but anyways, it exists. Um, and it had on it a documentary that I have now seen for a third time. But was this your first? This was your first time seeing the movie, right? Yes, it was. Um, and it's it's something that I've I've skirted around for a long time. Uh, I did not watch it through Tubi. I accessed it right. through Canopy. Um, oh, Canopy! I always forget which about that one. But I, I, I haven't been a student recently. Well, I. So funnily enough, my Canopy subscription is not actually linked to school, but it is linked to another thing that I am not technically currently an active member of, which is the Montgomery County Public Library. So yes, in case anyone from MCPL is listening to this podcast, let's maybe keep that between you and me. But thanks for listening. Yes, agreed. Uh, I am um, still making tell- liberal use of you to rent ebooks through the libby app and also now to watch documentaries on canopy so let's maybe i i feel like i've done a really dumb thing and and inadvertently blown up my own spot but Mm -hmm. uh but let's enjoy it while while it lasts uh because you and i watched the decline of western civilization yes um so this is the first in a in a trio of of movies and they are they are documentaries that are centered i guess you'd say it's centered they're all i think la centered um but these are movies by the phenomenal uh penelope spheris uh, born in new orleans oh born in new orleans that that would explain the very cool last name <laughs> um it's it but anyways there this one is is kind of focused on the it's introduced as the la los angeles punk scene of it's filmed between 1979 and 1980 but i think with the um benefit of of hindsight 
what you're really seeing is is hardcore you are seeing a a it is still punk but it is not your it is not your stooges what i would say and i don't know if you've read this book but this is the this is the connective tissue between um the amazing oral history please kill me and the not really oral history a book i have issues with um our band could be your life but it is really the connective tissue between here is the punk scene of of uh you know the stooges and mc5 and also some of the the british folks getting on board with that and leading into the kind of the later black flag that has henry rollins um bands like um rites of spring minor threat um and and you know the like there the minutemen this is this is kind of showing i think the birth of them and the birth of the scene that is different um david bowie is not coming to these concerts and befriending one of the other other people there um (laughs) it is not glamorous and i will say from the start um now please kill me has a lot of underage people in it but this is very different in that these are real live children that are nihilists. Yeah. So, so you've you've said many things just now, and I, I want to try to address all of them or as many of them as I can. So, mm-hmm. um, for for starters, if I can quibble with a, a point about the timelines of things, uh, or or more about how you classify music. I don't think very many people actually call MC5 or the Stooges punk bands. Punk, because punk as a movement, generally, in the same way that hip-hop is a a movement that also includes a style of music, punk is sort of a a style that also includes a, a, a genre of music called punk rock. And the sort of most commonly accepted, you know, early point of that movement is in the mid-70s in England. And then, uh, but, but like, the Stooges are putting out albums in, like, 1969. Correct. So, so, so the Stooges, I think, were, were sort of predecessors of it. Um, I don't know exactly. I guess you'd call them, like, maybe garage rock. But... But despite the fact that sort of the most commonly accepted beginning point of this, of, the, of what is known today as punk being like 1976, mm-hmm. by the time we're filming this movie, by the time Penelope Spheris is shooting footage in 1979, in a lot of ways, you're at the end. You're at the end of something. Things are things are changing a great deal. Like there is so little similarity between like Catholic discipline and the Sex Pistols. Yes, and and I think that that is ultimately the point I'm trying to make is like they are not. Um, there, uh, I know that one of the bands in there is is x who i think is it's almost the most professional of the band very it, much so i, I wrote um, something to that effect but but even they they're the ones that are kind of closest to it and they are saying yeah we can afford rent and there is not 
a star in their eyes. There is not something that they're hoping to attain. Whereas the Sex Pistols, I think, you know, are well aware that they are that they are coming to America and they are famous and there's something out there, or they will just continue to party forever. But this feels so, um, uh, you know, the scene feels so small, um, and they're staying in Los Angeles a lot. Well, so I, bringing the Sex Pistols into this is actually a a fortuitous choice because there is a real contrast in that the Sex Pistols. Well, a lot of a lot of people would argue the Sex Pistols were essentially a boy band. The Sex Pistols were brought together by a manager, not because mm-hmm. they were, you know, accomplished musicians or anything. God knows they were were not that. Yes, um, there's no Greg Ginn is not walking through that door. Uh, but well, actually, I say that I, that's I feel like I'm doing a bit of a disservice to Steve Jones, who's a really good guitar player. But Sid Vicious was objectively bad at playing the bass, and there's a lot of there is a lot of that in this movie. But there was no – the thing that I noticed about how this uh, – how things had changed by 1980s, that, like, there's not infrastructure behind any of these groups, like, spinning them up. Mm-hmm. It's, it is very much something that, you know, it's a movement that in a lot of ways started as kind of a manufactured – uh, display of aggression, disaffectation, whatnot. But then, by the time you get to Black Flag and the Circle Jerks, like it's become real. It's almost like they, you know, it's almost like the world of punk faked it until it made it. Mm-hmm. And by the time this movie is being filmed, they have made it. And and I and this makes me think of uh, of. In the film 20th Century Women, which is a, a nice, nice film, you should watch it, um, Greta Gerwig's character, of course, is in there and, and they're listening to uh, the Raincoats album, which is a famous, mm-hmm. uh, you know, famous female punk group. And she makes a point, like, the beauty of it is that you can tell the music they're trying to make, but they just aren't skilled enough to do it yet and fully get that message out there. There is a point where Greg Ginn of the or Ginn, I think it's Ginn, it's of, Ginn. of Black, yeah, of, of Black Flag is saying is talking about like his vision, and he's like, "We are going two hundred plus beats per minute, and if you look at our song structure and everything, we are packing as much in there as any other band does in three minutes, but we do it in one minute." So it's like, ah, the vision and the aggression, and and the thing I come come back to in this a lot is uh, the id. They have self-actualize the it mm. none more so than than maybe the star of of this whole program the documentary eugene who i believe is 12 year old who has seen it all and i really wanted to check on him but there's no easy way to do it um he, the film starts with him but but yeah it's like this is where they have realized it and i think in realizing it it's like and there's nowhere to go because none of this means anything except the ability to express and it is very angry yeah there there's a point uh there's a point where the the one-time manager of the germs is does an on-camera interview and and she a woman who is 
uh, all, uh, unsettlingly calm uh, f- for for the band that she managed. Uh, says that uh, they've been banned from several venues because, uh, unlike other bands, they don't do a sedate, safe stage show with no threat of imminent riot. And and one of the one of the things that really jumped off the screen to me when I was watching this movie which is shot kind of in in two two forms there's sort of like interviews but then there's also a lot of footage of the bands playing uh at at punk venues um is something that i found to be connective tissue between this movie and please kill me which is really open and aggressive antagonism between the bands and their fans Mm-hmm. Um, the one of the last bands, maybe the last band featured yeah, in the fear, movie is fear, fear is the last, yeah. uh, who quite literally incite a, a small riot during their performance um, by you know by by throwing out some uh, some some homophobic slurs and and telling people to yes. eat it fuckface and yeah. and and at some point. A queer woman gets up on stage because, you know, because they're upset about what happened, and uh, the the singer of the band proceeds to like kind of pummel her, and yes. like shove her off the stage, kick her off the stage multiple times, uh, mm-hmm. and it really like it was jarring. Uh, yeah, and and you get a full sense in the movie too of they're they're talking to these venue owners. And the concert promoters, and and even the bouncers, and having discussions about how do we deal with with these fans and what is going to happen, and and I I definitely have some sympathy for being for for them being like it is a liability for us to have these sure. shows. Well, so the the I wonder I wonder if this is something that you noticed, um, mm-hmm. sort of the first like ancillary person like you don't not eugene who is i guess in some ways the movie's narrator um and not not someone from the bands but one of the first people that is sort of like connected to the scene but isn't in a band that we talk to is a guy who owns one of the clubs i don't know if you remember the club's name but it's club 88 Mm, okay and i don't know how how versed you are in uh some of the potential connotations of the number 88 uh in a perhaps largely white largely male largely disaffected population um but you know to to a certain group of people it's a code for something pertaining to the letters of the alphabet namely the letter h h is the eighth letter of the alphabet h h common say aryan brotherhood type shorthand for Heil ah. hitler 
And I, I thought it was fascinating that this guy uh, bore at least some resemblance to uh, Cameron, the sort of uh, Svengali-type figure from American History X. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, like, it was a reminder for me, and, and and it is possible that I'm reading too much into it, but I, like, it, it stuck out to me as, like, oh, yeah, this is a reminder that in a lot of ways, punk has some very unsavory, you know, connections and associations throughout history. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of stuff in this documentary that it gets pretty uncomfortable like you know I, I think in a lot of ways the star of the movie is darby crash who was the uh front man of the germs uh yeah. died very shortly after this was I'm, filmed i'm not even sure post-production was 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 done there. very likely and and died um, of an intentional overdose that is the reporting um yeah he's like barely a functioning human being yeah, and I, I do want to hit on that because I would highly recommend... So this is the first in the series. I've not seen the third, but I've seen The Metal Years, which is the second mm-hmm. one, multiple times. And that, that one is... You know, this one has a lot of violence and there is some definitely a lot of mistreatment of women. Somehow the metal one is 20 times worse in that latter regard. It's just very misogynistic and problematic. And, and uh, you know... Um, Penelope Spheris does a tremendous job of, of highlighting that and is, is very aware of it. Um, but but one thing that also happens in that movie is is the Darby crash scene. He's very calmly, one of them is he's very calmly making breakfast yes. in, in his home. He's making bacon and eggs. And this is, um, this is run counter to his stage presence where he, ta- he talks about he is not able to perform unless he is really, really wasted. He cannot speak into the microphone they try everything to get him to do it but he's just a you know this is a totally different person but you see him calmly making breakfast and, and being a pleasant uh calm guy now the reason i mentioned the second movie is there's a very important uh kind of interview in that movie about the metal years in that scene with one ozzy osbourne who is oh. at that time a, a a someone who is who has been in in rehab and is a, a, you know an alcoholic or recovering alcoholic, mm-hmm. and he is talking about his experiences very calmly making bacon and eggs with Penelope Spheris um, with her camera train. So so like those parallels in these two movies move, uh, movies are great, but it's still against here are these people as real people versus the way they have to perform to the what the audiences expect them to do in in the form of expression and every time i rewatch this movie that always hits me that that is a consistent bit there um and ultimately these people have to go home at some point yeah and but but by the time but the the wild thing is that by the time you see this with darby crash you have already been exposed to what going home means for the guys in Black Flag, yeah. and it's, you know, it's sleeping in basically closets in a warehouse yeah. for uh-huh. $16 a month because they're not making any money. And and so, so I, I found the opening with Black Flag interesting because when the average person thinks of Black Flag, they probably think of Henry Rollins, for better or for worse, but like there the band was around for 
a decent chunk of time before he was part of it, and it existed after him too. Uh, I, I think it's after, I want to say it's after Rollins that Keith Morris, who in this movie is a singer of the Circle Jerks, is at one point like the front oh. man of Black Flag. Um, mm-hmm. But but at this at this point, uh, their their front man is a fellow named Ron Reyes, who mm-hmm. you will remember from our band could be your life, goes by a uh, an interesting stage name, Chavo Pederast. I don't think he, if I recall correctly, he was not actually in the band for for very for very long. I don't either. think so. Yeah. Um, but but he's he he talks a lot about and and like I said X is maybe the most commercially successful. I think Fear ended up doing okay. They still sort of exist in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um but he's talking and and a lot of them do talk about it. It's like um yeah, we end up being in the negative every month from playing shows um in part because they can't play anywhere. Um Black Flag, you know, very famously had its own label. Um, and and tried to tour a lot, but even still, were not making money. But they continued to do it nonetheless, which is the whole. That is the thing that's hard to wrap your head around. Is is they do this even though they kind of get nowhere, and they are seemingly pretty content with it. And I do want to pull out from that X scene of of X says at one point, um, I don't think of myself as a happy person, but I had fun tonight. That seems to be a theme for all of these, and there, there is even in um, Black Flag's lyrics, there is a recognition of uh, depression in a in a sad state. But the expression of it seems to be the highlight of of their days, mm-hmm. their weeks, their times living in closets. Yeah, just like looking, even though I haven't seen all three movies, just from from the topics, the L.A. punk scene, metal, and then like. You know, homeless gutter punk, the homeless gutter punk sort of lifestyle. Like, it's clear that the through line of this trilogy is like fringe identities, mm-hmm. fringe cultures that people identify themselves with in some form or fashion, and and so I think there's a certain extent to which, you know if you or I were realized that we were like losing money every month, we would make a pretty significant change in our lives. But I I don't know. I think we're probably wired very differently from Greg Ginn or Exene. And so like, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how I would approach things if I had, you know, if I were in a station where you kind of have nothing but this part of your life, like it is, it's everything. It is very clear that yeah. for, for most of the, the people that are, are depicted in this movie, like this is everything. And, and that's where it helps there. There is a, a detour with um, slash magazine and mm-hmm. um, kick boy face um, also known as Claude Bessie um is is there a bunch and he is reading letters to basically the editor um you know that are that get very philosophical and are anti-bourgeoisie and it makes you think of um i I forget did you did you end up reading um it's right in front of me cool town 
I have not yet. Okay. Well, there's there's a lot of in the alternative scene and what that comes out of, you know, being bohemian, but but in this true sense of like I am not going to take the the conventions of normal society. I am going to skew them. I'm going to be on my own. And I think that's here a lot too. Oh yeah, it for just, sure. And there's it, plenty of that in our band could be your life as well. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where I think that it's this important connection. It's like you know, this not looking for, for glamour or, or anything. And it's why people reject in that book REM to a great extent. It's like, we are not doing it for those reasons. And if we have that, that idea of fame, then we are, we've, we've lost our way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of time spent with the Black Flag guys and they're saying things which, you know, seem very like first year freshman college student stuff. But you know this has become their their life and and this is the way it is and so you see that with these letters and the, the slash magazine is like they are writing to this this philosophy and it obviously comes out in in, in the music as well so there is a consistency there um and and it it's a nice it's a nice counter to the the metal years movie because they just take that the grossness the the living in filth and they commodify and sexualize it in a way that that is 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 really um un, unsettling uh but but i see here here you get the philosophy of it and it's still unsettling but in a very different way so the, the fact the mention of slash magazine is uh is interesting to me because what i wrote down as we were watching them do their business is the publisher of Slash Magazine, and I don't know why, strikes me as incredibly cynical about all of this. Like, he sees an opportunity to mm-hmm. capitalize on this movement. I, I actually have written somewhere in my in my notes, like, I'm not sure he cares about punk at all. And it's, it's, yeah. all, it, it's all, like, on little facial expressions and, and sort of, like, little smirky looks that just made me feel like that's the case he could be the most devoted punk supporter ever uh but also Mm. publisher of a magazine doesn't strike me (laughs) quite quite the same way as a person making you know negative money every month uh yeah but but anyway so so going back to our band could be your life all the way back at the beginning of this you talked about that being something that you have a lot of issues with and i i'm I don't want to detract. I don't want to distract from uh, if you have more stuff to say about this movie. But I also would be mm-hmm. curious to maybe talk about some of the some of the gripes you have with that book. Um, I think that when you compare to um, an oral history like "Please Kill Me," a, a documentary like this one that is you know shot in the moment, um, you're not going back and interviewing people ten years on. Um, and even something like uh, Meet Me in the Bathroom, where you're getting all these different viewpoints, because our band could be your life is this mix written pretty long after the fact, like 20 years or so, of, of interviews and then also interspersed with, with some narrative prose written, written by the author. There's just a lot in there that I felt was... Um, you know the the why or the how was not there i think especially henry rollins a lot um there is some taking his word for it that that 
irks me and and also uh you know even the, the you know greg ginn and and uh how weird he is which i i take he seems very egomaniacal in a lot of ways but but there's just some stuff throughout that that i feel like a a a better a documentarian would have would have gotten to the bottom of it and, and with an oral history that that just by definition will, will often come out more because you get more points of view and obviously with the documentary one like this that is um uh, you know so there, there's no narration there's 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 no narration over it. it is just in their words um you you get closer to it so so that's that's my that's my issue with it i think it's still tremendous and, and worth a read and i i learned a lot but like asking greg mould 30 years later about what he remembers and and you know what was the point that they are are the i guess the replacements or whoever had their their gripes and everything it's it's later on a lot of people are already dead by the time he is he is writing this book so their stories are are not told in the same way as everyone else's yeah but i mean like i I don't know is that a larger argument against writing any history book 30 years after the fact i this it's what i'm saying is not necessarily fair i'm not really into fair i'm more (laughs) comparing these three pieces of work and and why i like them i also think some of the prose in our band could be your life is just bad like there are a lot of like bad sentences Mm. in the book so i feel like i can i can criticize that in a vacuum that your sentences are bad (laughs) yeah i think i get that uh, okay well let's let's maybe bring this bring this plane down uh because we've we've been at it for a while is there any is there anything that you would sort of sum up your experience with the decline of western civilization I, there is a point where one of the club owners, the older guy, who I think tries to give a definition of punk at the beginning, mm-hmm. and I forget what it was, but he's sitting there with a woman who I think is supposed to be his wife towards the end. And he says something about the kids, and they really are kids, except for like... Uh, John Doe. X. Yeah, John Doe and, and a couple others. They're all, they all seem to be pretty young, especially the fans. Um, he says they're really nice kids they just need to be doing something different and and i think that plus eugene sticks with me which is like we live in this place it's supposed to be beautiful um but i just have so much anger and i don't know how to get it out and you know i i don't want to do what is expected of me and you know i think that that makes sense i think a lot of people deal with that and it's it's not just the the kids with shaved heads or are are, you know wearing makeup or have blue hair um or who have weird piercings or badges or buttons this is a pretty universal feeling and yeah there is some violence and there's some very bad things here that's that's worth noting but a lot of it is just anger and aggression and a not knowing how to express it yeah eugene talking about his anger and aggression is the thing that really stuck with me too um there there's in one of his in one of his sort of talking head segments by the way i love how those are shot with just like against a stark background and in in one where the guy's got the x shaved in his forehead you can like Mm -hmm. see that there's just like a single light bulb hanging behind him i i deeply enjoyed that from a visual standpoint but but Eugene is talking about the violence and how 
he he's talking about it in a way that suggests that he kind of doesn't he doesn't like it like he he goes there and his friends wind up beating up his friends Mm -hmm. and then he goes on to say that it's something that he does too and penelope serious asks him why and he just says to get out aggression yeah. And in the thing, the thing that I just couldn't move away from at the end of this movie was this is all so futile. There's just yeah. like in a lot of ways, punk, the punk movement is one that has that loves to to tout very lofty and high minded ideals about you know sticking it to the man and and affecting positive change in the world and yet at the same time when you talk to some of the people that are the most affected by it the thing that they take away from it is this is a way for me to get out my aggression by whacking some people around at a show and it's like fuck man what are what what comes of this well, you know, some would say pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, but unfortunately for Eugene and why I'm afraid it didn't go well for Those him or anything else. Those are heavy boots, man. Well, and they're all the more heavier because Eugene was living in Ronald Reagan's California and it was about to become Ronald, Ronald Reagan's, Reagan's America. America. Well, that's that's our coda if ever I've heard one. So, so let's uh let's wrap that and say that you should definitely check out uh, the decline of Western civilization. If you have the ability to do so, uh, see if your school or your local library or whatever has some sort of partnership with Canopy where you can sign up for an account, or take the plunge on Tubi if you if you want to do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's so let's let's move on now and and do Pierce is sorry. What are you apologizing for today? Um. So speaking of books that we have we have read and not only things that we have watched, mm-hmm. um, I think over the last few few years um, I've read more uh, fantasy books, but also more um, magical realism. I've read some Murakami. I've read um, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, um, and I was in a book a work book club not too long ago, and I made a comment. Um, because we were watching before we were watching we were reading before the coffee gets cold which was a play a japanese play that was turned into a book um and it is it is also a magical realism book and i made a comment about how i i felt that in america uh prose writing there there wasn't as much magical realism you know front and center i felt like and i very quickly apologized to the group um, and, and we had a discussion from it, which is great. This is why you go to book clubs. Um, because I realized that that was a stupid, stupid statement. Because as in the next breath, uh, someone pointed out, as I also realized, uh, we'll have, have you read The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead or Nickel Boys? Are you familiar with um, The Water Dancer by ta Coates? And I thought, yeah. And so what I'm really saying is... Uh, in the canon, the 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 dead white author canon, um, there is not a, ma- a lot of magical realism, and that is the the whole 
you know this this structure of of this is what we're supposed to like this is this is what we do and when i made the comment like is it because we're too serious or whatever it is some people are too serious but it is on you and as as you know in this case me as someone who pretends to be a better reader um to recognize that you don't have to follow those tastes you can choose your own so um read more magical realism realism and realize that it's not all american authors it's some american authors okay well you just named about 10 books and authors that i've never read anything by so i guess i have some homework to do um but uh before before i dive into murakami i will uh leave us with a a big idea from pop culture and uh that is uh do you know who has the worst contract in the nba uh, I do know because I read that newsletter this morning, but pretend I didn't know. Well, yeah. So, so if if you uh, if you were someone who uh, who who wasn't uh, a Tom Ziller newsletter subscriber, who would you say has the worst contract in the NBA? Oh, I mean, is Richard Lewis or Gilbert Arenas still getting paid? If not, it is <laughs> other people who have played for the Wizards. Uh, some would say Russell Westbrook or maybe John Wall. Yeah. Uh, I think those would be the most common answers. Uh, but it's 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 Zion Williamson. Ah, why is he, that? He's, well, he's on, a, he's on a list that includes uh, such luminaries as Giannis Antetokounmpo and LaMelo Bald and Luka Doncic and Anthony Davis because our friend Tom Ziller had the the gall to to do something really radical and uh and publish a list of the 10 worst contracts in the NBA from the standpoint of players getting hosed by oh. their contracts which is the only way that anyone should ever write that list but we're all dummies who have decided to side with management over labor mm-hmm. at every possible turn. Yes, and and that's and that was in response. I think in a lot of ways, though, he did not say in response to the whole "oh, the Philadelphia 76ers trust Joel Embiid." It's like no, they're still getting a deal because they can only pay him that much. Exactly. <laughs> And and the the brilliant the really brilliant thing about this list is that he put Anthony Davis at number ten, and he makes a lot of money, and has a notable flaw in his game, which is that his lower body is made of glass. So when you open the email, I I don't know if you had this thought, but I started reading it. And I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a a pretty bog standard. Uh, bad contracts list it's going to be guys with really inflated salaries oh no that's not what it is at all i'm into this i don't i i think i might have figured it out by like number eight or seven i was like i i know it's like not only do i know what this is now but i'm confident that zion is going to either be Either Zion is going to be number one or someone like Luka Doncic is going to be number one on the 
it doesn't matter how big his max contract is worth. The max contract is a scam mm-hmm. that artificially caps players' values. And turns out that was pretty much exactly how that went. Uh, yeah. So uh, someone, uh, someone recently, who was it? Oh, uh, Jason Concepcion described uh, described American sports. I think maybe to to Raj from Men in Blazers yeah. as socialism for rich people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is exactly what sports in America are. One hundred percent. So. Yeah, uh, but it just it made it all the more refreshing for for someone to kind of pierce that veil and and have the audacity to look at things a different way. So, kudos to you, Tom Ziller, and and to you, Pierce, uh, because the reason that I was able to read that newsletter is you. I probably would have forwarded that one to you. Uh, I think you likely would have as well, but that just cements my point that either way you would have been responsible for it. So, yeah. uh, So, yeah, I think we can basically give you a co-author credit at this point, really. I mean, I'm I'm not going to ask for that. (laughs) I don't I don't need credit, but I appreciate this. The stick it to the man ness of of this this general podcast. Yeah, I think I would. Would Tom Ziller have been in X or would he have been in like the Alice Bag Band? Oh, um, Alex Bagband was was had had a had a very professional look to it, even if they weren't hmm. professional themselves. So, so he he probably would have just been a writer for Slash Magazine. Yeah, he probably would have been a writer for Slash Magazine. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've we've gone back into the playground of decline of Western civilization, inside references. Let's let's maybe call time and and say that that's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com, or subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app of choice. If you do that, please leave a rating, review, comment, that sort of thing, or just tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share with them as well. We'll be back next week, probably with a bigger group, to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. Thanks for listening. Bye.